previously on Hacker Valley Blue. We're doing the very first season of Hacker Valley Blue. This season specifically, we're going to be highlighting threat intelligence. There are people who mention things like, oh, you didn't you know, take this side into consideration or you weren't careful enough with these kind of words and stuff. The language you use was not as accurate as you could be. So I get, I get some information. I get extra information. And usually I use that to make the new episodes better. The, the words that you use is an incredible insight because quite often Intel analysts will get judged based on a single report. This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. This episode is sponsored by Risk IQ. Risk IQ has been crawling the internet for over 10 years, collecting intelligence on a massive scale, and have created a comprehensive graph of the internet. RiskIQ has deployed sensors globally to continuously monitor, extract, and analyze intelligence. RiskIQ will help you map, monitor, and shrink your attack surface while proactively detecting threats in the wild. If you want to find out more information, check them out at riskiq.com or go to our show notes to learn more. Let's continue on our journey of Hacker Valley Blue. In this exciting episode, we've brought in Valentina Palacine. She is a threat hunter and was previously a translator. We touch on so much in this episode. We talk about Valentina's understanding of over seven languages, including programming languages. And also we touch on poetry and the impact of words. I promise that everyone is going to love this episode and have lots to take away from it. Let's jump right into it. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again here repping Hacker Valley Blue. And today we have a really exciting guest we have someone that has been a translator, a baby threat hunter, and also now a senior threat intelligence analyst. We have Valentina Palacine, a close friend of the Hacker Valley Studio podcast and an honorable guest. Welcome to the show, Valentina. Thank you very much for such kind presentation, Ron. Valentina, you know, I've been tracking you for a little while now. That sounds terrible, but I've been watching all your talks. You know, you're you're traveling around to conferences. You just presented at DEF CON. You are making huge waves in threat intelligence and threat hunting. But for the people that don't know who you are just yet, would love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. Okay, so, well, first of all, I used to be a, a translator, actually. I graduated in translator in Spain a, a long time ago, which seems like ages now. And I've been in the field of InfoSec for almost a little bit over two years. I've been working as a threat analyst, studying APTs worldwide, using attack framework, building this cool thing that we call Threat Library that, that's presented at AttackCon past year. And on my free time, I kind of dedicate myself to research and learn threat hunting in, in my own home lab. That's awesome. I'd love to first start with 
What is the intelligence community like in Argentina? And is it something that you kind of started on your own? How did you actually get into it? Oh, it was a really, really long journey. Like since I, I didn't have like a computer science background, so I had to shift for, for different fields and different expertise areas. Uh, for a while. So I started with actually doing some web development and I started in a big company doing like the e-commerce side. That moved me like to realize some couple of things about myself. Like I was really good at OSINT. So I thought immediately I should do something related with that. And I also wanted to do some some programming, like backhand programming. So I moved into that too and, and courses and university and stuff. And I ended up just shifting and shifting into, inside Deloitte as a threat intel analyst in the Deloitte threat intel team. So the community is really big in terms of offensive security. We have probably here there is one of the biggest cyber cybersecurity conference in the, in Latin America, if not the biggest one. Wow. And then regarding the defense side, it's really small. So actually, my team probably is one of the few teams in, in the country that are doing defensive security. I would love to hear if having that background of translation helps you with threat intel and what other languages are you familiar with? Oh, so actually, yes, it did. It helped me a lot for a couple of things. First, in my curriculum, we had international relationships. And also I did a bunch of history classes because I, I wanted to. So that helped me a lot into what is a threat intel. And in regarding how many languages I, I know, well, fluently, I only speak English and Spanish, but I'm able to read uh, comfortably Italian and French. I'm able to translate Chinese if, if I dedicate a lot of time. There was a time in which I was kind of fluid in Chinese, but I'm not anymore. I just like, I forget everything. And then I studied a little bit of Russian and also, well, I did Greek and Latin in school too. So yeah, I kind of did a lot of languages. Wow. So that that's like eight right there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stuck at one. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> that's incredible. Eight languages. And with all those languages, do you think that that is part of your, your passion is the love of language and what words actually mean. And then with all of that, that study about languages, how has that changed your threat intelligence work? Well, I think, yes, I have a passion for languages. And in a way, programming is a way of speaking a language, but with a computer instead of with a human being. It's and another language. <laughs> Yeah, so I think, yeah, I do have a passion with languages. And regarding if my thread intel, in, uh, my language helped me into the thread intel, actually, I spotted a really shifty or maybe really vague attribution to a Chinese thread actor due to some weird relationship they established according to one word in Chinese, which I read that. And if you don't have a Chinese background, you wouldn't realize that that attribution was foggy, uh, the least. And can I help you with that, for example? Also to read, and maybe if you have some French document or an Italian document, and you need to read it. Sometimes it, it is helpful with that too. So that's really interesting. 
how does even programming, like uh, I know that you've built some stuff, like you've worked on threat library. What we typically don't hear from threat intel analysts is their background on programming and how programming has enabled them or helped them in some way. We hear that a lot from red teamers and also defenders, but not really the, you know, the, the threat intel analysts. What have you built using your programming expertise and how does that enable you today? Okay, yeah. I think programming is a really useful skill no matter what you dedicate your life to. I think it empowers you in, in a impressive way because it gives you control over over the computer in a way that knowing a, a programming language would, wouldn't give you. And it helped me. We built some applications in order to better visualize the data, for example. And also to, you know, maybe share indicators and it maybe makes the process a little bit less painful. <laughs> so yeah, I think it, it has been really useful to have these programming skills. No, that's incredible. You know, when I first really got into cybersecurity, you know, I, I had my intelligence background, but there was a lot that I, I didn't really understand. And I'm kind of lucky being here in the United States, have access to a lot of different conferences and things like that. But for you, what was that journey like? You know, once you figured out that, you know, wow, I, I want to do this thing in cybersecurity and even more specifically, threat intelligence and threat hunting. And it looked like that, you know, once you kind of opened up into this world, you were like, it's time, it's time to travel and talk about the stuff that I've learned. So can you tell us a little bit about like that journey of figuring out that you wanted to do something in cybersecurity? And then what was that, that discovery period like for you? Yes, it was interesting because in a way I feel like I was born to do what I do now. It, wow. it makes kind of sense for me, for how I am, how the things that I'm capable of doing, it just makes sense. I, I couldn't explain it in, in another way, right? So it was an interesting journey. It was a hard journey because it got me a lot of a little bit of suffering. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. It wasn't all roses, it was a really hard journey to shift from translator to threat intel analyst to threat hunter. Yeah. But it was really worth it. So I realized because people, first I realized because people always came to me to ask me to find stuff they wouldn't be able to find on the internet. Classical stuff like, oh, I want to, you know, I'm trying to find this guy that I like. Just help me. And I only know how their friends call it. And I don't know, I will do some digging here or there. I will end up finding something. Or maybe they needed help with finding information for work or for the university. And they will always come to me asking me, like, can you help me? I, I'm really a lot at a loss. That's how I realized, okay, I have kind of like this research skill, you know, like I can dig something from maybe a, just a really small detail. And I enjoy it. I enjoy it a lot. It's like hunting for information. So yeah, so yeah. like being a detective. Exactly. Yeah. It's like being a detective, a detective without being in the like in the law, law enforcement forces. Right. So that was what kind of like turned on the light on my head. Like I should try to see where I can exploit this. It's like, yeah, I should move more into security related stuff. And also it's really interesting. And you have this, all, all these movies and TV shows that make it all look so fancy. And I always knew that this was not going to be as fancy as in the TV shows and stuff, but it was interesting nevertheless. Right. 
So I kind of say it sounds like it's something I'm, I could be good at. It's something that interests me. It's something that I feel driven to. And I signed up to the university to do a diploma degree regarding information security. So that was kind of the end of, of, the, of the journey. And then regarding the talks and the research, it had to do too with the team I got into, which was a really, really amazing team. And my boss, Luciano Martins, was really, really supportive. And he encouraged us to research and to investigate. And if he wanted to, you know, to send talks worldwide or whatever. We started this research about DNS attacks, which was a fairly extensive research. It was my first research. And now I'm thinking about it in, in retrospective and it was a little bit massive. You know, it helped me to, to start learning how the internet worked because, you know, we had to, to study a lot of how DNS actually worked and understand it. And also I started to see, because I was new at the team, how attack was so useful to understanding and comparing the different groups and also to, to compare them and to prepare like a defense against each of them differently. So and that research got a lot of attention, luckily for us. And I remember saying that I shoot it in every CFP that I thought open because I thought that it was not going to get anywhere, you know, like it's my first research, maybe one place or two places. And I got so lucky that it got a lot of attention and we end up doing what we call the DNS tour. So we travel in a lot of places uh, speaking about DNS attacks. And kind of that was it, how, how I got into, into all this attacking and learning. And it was an amazing opportunity because actually it allowed me to meet a lot of interesting people. And for example, I got into threat hunting because in one of these conferences, I saw Roberto Rodriguez speaking about his tools. And I, I was like, that is awesome. I want to do that. And that's what I'm mostly focusing myself on in my free time. That's so perfect. Roberto Rodriguez, he's been on the podcast before. Brilliant. One of the, the best and most eloquent threat hunters out there. He gives so much back to the community. I'd love to hear about that, that relationship between threat intelligence and threat hunting because I believe they go hand in hand. And things like MITRE ATT&CK, are definitely a perfect touchstone for threat intelligence analysts to talk to threat hunters and vice versa. We'd love to hear a little bit about your your philosophy when it comes to, to MITRE and intelligence supporting threat hunting. Yes. So I always do what is maybe focusing a lot in the way people can learn to start to learn. I mean, I always, I'm always seeing it from that perspective since I was new and I had to learn everything from scratch and I had a lot to catch up to and I still have a lot to catch up to. But for me, MITRE is an excellent tool, not only for advanced people, but also for people that are starting in the field because it gives you everything you need or not everything, but everything you need to start mm. to learn about specific techniques so when you come from, from like, an, when you're an outsider like me, or I used to feel like an outsider, then you can use MITRE to fill this, the, this, that knowledge gaps. And you can always go back to it as a reference, right? And regarding what I think about MITRE, like a philosophy in the community, I think MITRE is an excellent tool for communication. I think there was before MITRE, 
or the four, before MITRE was really adopted uh, like for everyone. Because, you know, we started using the framework before it got so popular. At least here in Argentina, the, the shift is pretty noticeable. And suddenly there's a common way for the offensive of the offensive side that here we're not so in tune to understand each other. And also to communicate some really complex concepts to people outside security in a way that they can see it more clearly. Because I think sometimes we security people get so used to us, so dragged into what we do and we see it like something so so common and so natural to us that we don't realize how alien things are for people that are not really involved with computers and really not involved with security. So I think Micro Mitre makes a perfect role uh, for that. Regarding Mitre as a communication vessel among threat intel and threat hunting, yeah, I do think that happens. I would, I do think it helps a lot to drive the hunts. Uh, if you have intel about what a threat actor may do, or or if you or a red teamer may do, if you have some something to stand to to carry out your hunting instead of just looking what may be their thinking that or making assumptions, but you have a more, more concrete idea, it can be really, really helpful. And it can make you realize what to hunt for. And, you know, MITRE is something that I was introduced to by Chris. And like you're saying, there's a lot more adoption since the inception. And it's changing a bit. There's going to be more tactics and techniques added over time which require, you know, threat intel analysts to be agile with their learnings. But you've also learned a lot of languages over time. And you're learning all this about threat intel and cybersecurity and programming. Do you have any hacks or tricks that you like to use to rapidly learn and stay on top of all these things? To stay on top, uh, I mean, I don't think there's a good... I would actually say the opposite, right? I think... At least here, we have been uh, in quarantine almost for 160 days now, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think it's okay sometimes to miss some stuff. <laughs> so it's, that's kind of the opposite of what you want me to say. But yeah, I think it, I have learned that I cannot feed myself with everything at once. And maybe that I'm going to miss some, some stuff that is going on. Because, you know, every time, every second, I mean, even if we are talking here right now, probably someone that is developing or is announcing a really amazing tool that he's has been, he or she has been right. working on. And we are going to miss it because we are talking here, right? But I think that dealing with that anxiety is important uh, and to learn that you cannot be everywhere and you cannot know everything. It's something that I, I learned. And to be a little bit more useful in terms of keeping up with things, if you want to keep up with things in Threading Intel, you have to read a lot. You have to read, read, read a lot, stay on top of the news, stay on top of the political news, and also the the cyber news, not only what is going on in, in the community, but outside, right? So I think Threading Intel is uh, multidisciplinary. So that's kind of what makes it exciting. So you need to be aware of what's going on in the world 
besides the cyber realm. Right. Yeah, I think you said it best. Um, sometimes when you try to boil the ocean and learn everything, you end up not really learning too much at all. So I think that's a good approach to kind of stay focused on what the task at hand is, whatever you're looking at, whatever your current project is, and letting some of this stuff fall off because there's no way with all the data that we have now, all the news coming out that we can just focus on everything and not get burnt out. And I promise I I said I wasn't going to get spun up, but I'm (laughs) getting spun up right now because this is one of the most important lessons that I have learned. And I try to tell everybody, whether you're a consumer of threat intelligence or you're doing threat intelligence yourself, it's not going to catch everything. We're not the Skynet apparatus that just is taking all this data at all, all moments. We're reading every single article that comes out, every video that comes out. We're looking at all the tweets because quite often I've been leading organizations and they go, hey, why didn't you catch this? And in my head, I'm like, how would you think that we would catch this in the first place? As a, a threat intelligence analyst, you do your best to try to catch everything. You try to, you know, set up alerts when it comes to open source. You try to set alerts internal to the the organization. You try to set alerts when it comes to your premium threat feeds, but you're not going to catch everything. And I think that's something that people need to just understand going forward. Like threat intelligence isn't a catch-all. Like I, I, I don't understand how people think that that's what threat intelligence is. We do our best, right? We do our best. We collect all the information we can. But what we do do is when stuff gets missed, we change and we look and we reassess our collection plan. Going back to the easy framework, we change how we collect that data. Maybe there was a news source that we weren't looking at originally. Maybe it was specific key terms that we didn't use before. But really just thinking about and giving ourselves a break when it comes to actually collecting this information is huge. And I I couldn't have said it better myself, Valentina. Thank you. I also want to add just a little thing. I think it's also important to remember if you're, especially if you're a small organization, right? Probably no matter the size of your organization, what you say that it's not about collecting it all, but it's about collect what is relevant for you. And maybe you will miss something. And as you said, you will have to tweak the process and improve it or change because something wasn't relevant and now it is relevant. But to, to, you have to set a scope that is reasonable for you. Yeah, that's perfect. And one thing I wanted to bring up is with you personally, like now you've, you've gotten into this realm of, of threat intelligence. You're expanding your reach into to threat hunting what is coming up next for you? What is the most, the thing that gives you most satisfaction today as far as continuing your path into to cybersecurity? That's a toughie. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of stuff that I like. So there are a lot of stuff that brings me passion. I think I want to have a hobby outside security because, you know, I think I need to remain sane in a way yeah. that I don't have now because Actually, I like security so much that when I'm not working, I'm doing security on my own. So it's like, I think I need to have something else. And inside what is security, I'm really into hunting lady, actually writing something about hunting that is probably, if I'm lucky, it's going to get out soon. So I need to get done with it. And (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I'm working on an open source project, a couple of open source projects, actually, that also, if I'm lucky, I'm going to be out soon. But 
one thing that I've learned with all I have in between my hands is that I cannot do everything at, at, at the same time and I have to prioritize. And that prioritization process kind of make me push some of the stuff that I'm I'm passionate about that and I want to do, especially one of these open source projects that I'm working on. I had to push it because it was too much and I, I, I was trying to jiggle with too much. Yeah, and you talk about hobbies and hobbies are, are so important to me. And I think they're important to most people. And some people know what their hobby is, what their passion is, and some people don't. Have you had hobbies like when you were a kid or hobbies that you're thinking about doing now? Or are you starting basically from a fresh slate? So I have a couple. When I was a kid, when I adolescent mostly, my hobby was actually to do some front end things. Well, I was always a writer. I'm a writer. I write stuff in my free time. Uh, more personal stuff like, you know, poetry or, or kind right. of. So I had always like a blog and in my free time, I, I used to, to decorate it and change it and doing front end stuff. That was my hobby when I was younger. Now I keep writing really deep and anonymous stuff in the hiding from everyone. I, I don't show those. And I bought recently a launch pad to try to learn to do some, some music because uh, I think it's really interesting. And I like the colors a lot of the, of the launch pad too. The launch pad too. What else? I read, I know how to do leather bags. What? Oh. Can you make us yeah. leather bags? <laughs> we need I some can, Macro Valley Studio bags. <laughs> yeah, we do. We'd love that. I'd wear it everywhere. It'd be my go-to bag. I learned how to do those before getting into security. And I really like to sew the leather because it's really, I'm sorry for, for those that are vegans and stuff. So I'm sorry. I know it's awful. But yeah, I learned to sew the, the, the leather, which is really calming in a way, you know, to do mm. uh, these manual things. So, so those are my hobbies. <laughs> Nice. You know, I recently got into writing myself and now I make it like a pretty good habit of just writing something in the morning. Sometimes it's journaling, sometimes it's poetry, sometimes I even try to write songs here and there. They don't really get recorded, but it still allows me to kind of get things off of my mind and, you know, express myself in some way or another. I would love to hear more about your poetry and what does that do for you? I think your songs might not be recorded yet, but maybe someday, you know? <laughs> yep. My poetry is a way of, I always write it like I have these blank moments in which I cannot do anything else but write. Like It's like I need to get something out of my system. And I write uh, and like little, little things. I don't want to mention a lot, but one thing I noticed is that when I was younger, I was only able to write in Spanish even though I, I was good in English and all. And with the age, I have, you know, evolved. And now I write both in English and Spanish. And sometimes I mix them, which is funny or weird. I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> but like, I feel like one thing that is interesting, I think, is depending on the language I'm writing, I can tackle different feelings. Like it, it helps me like process in a different way. You know, what's interesting is that so Ron and I have had a vocal coach for quite some time now. And one of the things that she has us do quite often is recite poetry because the flow and the musicality of poetry is so, 
so beautiful when it comes to speech and how words flow together and sounds and consonants and vowels. Would you say that your ability to write poetry has helped your threat intelligence analysis in some way? I really don't think so. Or maybe it did and I'm not aware of. I think poetry helps me to be more in tune with my feelings and also with the feelings of other people. I don't know if that could be considered a threat intel skill. Maybe it can, you know, because not maybe in, in the cyber side of things, but in the human side of things, because right. if you are more in tune with other people's feelings, you also read better better the situations in which you are in. One thing that I think about, because I actually write poetry as well, and I, I've written poetry for a long time, and something that I kind of just, you know, was playing around with as a kid, but as I've gotten older, I, I've actually been able to put together pretty, pretty solid pieces. And the thing that I think has helped me the most with threat intelligence analysis is my word finding, because words are are really meaningful. And that sounds like an oxymoron, but they're meaningful because if you use a specific word like hot versus scorching, like those are two different words, but they have really, really specific meanings. And so for me, when I write poetry, I'm looking for words. I'm finding the words that match my emotion and match my tone, my my intellect all at that moment. And I do the same thing when I'm writing my reports for threat intelligence. It's like I'm looking for those words that are perfect. And I want to convey that meaning, that feeling all in my my prose. So that's how I've been able to, to match mine. What about you, Ron? That's an interesting way to look at it. For me, I think I've been, I'm more of a verbal person. I'm really good at learning new things or finding those words when speaking them. So when I'm writing poetry, it's typically like me trying to find the word when speaking it. I try to like do everything at once. So like if I write a poem, it's typically in one shot, but I speak it out loud and I try to visualize the situation. And I think the same for when I read poetry or even read now after working with Darcy, like I'll I'll try to read things out loud more and describe the word with the meaning like so a little onomatopoeia like if i'm reading the word scorching i'll be like scorching you know like make myself feel that word and i think that does help with communication a lot like if i'm reading something that way out loud it helps me in my verbal communication it helps me put the words on paper correctly the first time after kind of visualizing it and almost and almost feeling that word and we've had a couple of freestyle sessions as well. And I think you're pretty good. You know, I, I'm terrible. <laughs> like my my actual first time freestyling was in the, the studio back way before COVID happened. It was a cool experience because you're, you're actually pulling information in and you're using these constructs of rhyming and you're using these constructs of how you've used words before, but you're trying to do it simultaneously while building, kind of like you were saying about poetry, you're building this poetry like while you're saying it, which I think is like an unbelievable talent I'd love to, to get more into. Valentina, how, how do you feel about freestyle? <laughs> Honestly, uh, I've never done freestyle. I, I should do, I should try at least. I wanted to build in something that you say, Chris. I, I think sometimes we forget that Words are really powerful. The words we choose had a, a really big impact in, in the people that we receive it, right? 
words help us to make a story and we work with stories. We are a story. So I think words are really powerful. And it's true that if you write in your free time and you you tweak this of looking for the right word that will help you express the specific thing you want to write, and you can translate that skill later into writing a report, you're actually, when you're giving someone a report, in a way you're telling someone a story. And it's important the tone and the phrasing you're going to use in that report. because. The person that received the, the report needs to take an action after reading it. And the way you write it is going to condition the action it's going to make. And, you know, kind of speaking of things that are really powerful, I, I know, you know, not only the words that you use are powerful, but kind of the people that you surround yourself with, like talking with you and Chris and hearing kind of just these little snippets. It's like, man, it's really great to be around these types of people because now I'm able to kind of grow myself and take myself to the next level. What kind of things are you into when it comes to community aspects? I saw on your Twitter, you're a part of uh, an organization or a group called Blue Space Security. What what is that about? Yes, that's actually kind of new. We are almost 100 already. We are trying to build a community in surrounding defensive security here in Latin America since everything was really offensive. And we were like, we always felt a little bit uh, outside or alone, but that's changing, likely. People are getting a lot of more interest in, in, in the defensive side of, of things. I think MITRE also help a lot with that, by the way. Like people are starting to see the benefits of complicating the threat actor board game, right? Which was a mm-hmm. metaphor that was used at AttackCon 2. So that that's making that, that our community grow. Also, the threat hunting is helping a lot. Like, threat intel is a little bit not tangible for someone that maybe is really used to, to the offensive side of things. And threat hunting can help people see both the importance of having good threat intel and how you can apply a methodology like to a proactive way of doing security. So we took all that and we started this blue space, which is a community that wants to to grow this Spanish speaking, but also we welcome English speakers too, because we speak English almost all of us. But we want to help generate content in in, in Spanish and help people that want to get into the defensive side of security into the practices and the theory behind it too. Um, so we have a Discord channel. We are going to participate at the Echo Party with the special talks, all in Spanish. And maybe in the future, we can do our own conference. We will see. That is outstanding. And I know you said MITRE has a lot to do with it, but I really think you have a lot to do with it. You're definitely a leader in your community. You're a leader in your country. And I think you're definitely a leader in our community as well. So thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Thank you so much for being on the show with us, hopping on these mics from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you so much. For folks that want to stay up to date with you and all the things that you have going on, what are some of the best ways that people can do that? Oh, thank you for for such kind words. I don't see myself uh, as a leader. I think I'm always only someone that is actually trying to learn and help others learn learn with her. Where if you want to reach me, you can always find me at Fiery Termite, which is my my Twitter. Also find me on LinkedIn with my whole name. 
And I'm always open. My DMs are always open for people that need to reach out or, or want to speak or whatever. Excellent. Great. And we will be sure to put all of those links and your Twitter and the show notes. I would highly recommend everyone, you know, get to follow you and learn more about your work. Absolutely amazing. And thanks so much, Valentina. We'll see everyone next time. Thank you.